You've been lied to, but you don't know how. You've searched, you've struggled, you've cried out. You want the truth, but where is it? You've wandered, you've fought, you've strived, and you have not been satisfied. What is truth? Where is truth? Who is truth? The kingdom of God. Mind control. The last days. Higher dimensions. Unity. The power of faith. Discovering the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God has promised that he will hide us under his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. Discovering the Truth with Dan Devon is the premier program that is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is designed to show you how to become more than you have ever imagined through the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And now, prepare for your host, Dan Duvall. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This program is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is a production of Bride Ministries, and you can find us at www.bridemovement.com and www.thefireplacechurch.org. And folks, every Friday and Sunday night, At 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, you can hang out with us because we've built a platform for the many, many of you that wrote to us um, before this year and said, Daniel, we want local fellowship. We want the ability to make friends. We want a way to get connected to people that are like-minded. And of course, when I, you know, would hear this, I would say, I can't help you because I don't have a global or nationwide network of people that think the way I do. I just that doesn't exist. So we built the Fireplace Church and following every service which we produce with excellence, you will have the opportunity to click a button and find yourself in the company of friends and people that are uh, um, like-minded and excited about Jesus and able to be there with you, listen, pray with you, and have great conversation and fellowship. So just be reminded that's there. And, and you know what? Let me tell you something about my privileges. I have the privilege of meeting some of the most amazing people. As I've launched out into to Bride Ministries and, and been doing this program and uh been doing the discipleship courses through Bride Ministries and then ultimately, you know, launching the church and bringing on moderators. I have met some of the most phenomenal people. You guys that listen to this program are smart and educated. You're intelligent. You are 
full of the fire of God. I, I mean, the listeners of this program are profound people. The more I get to know you, the more impressed I am. Actually, uh, I, I'm so impressed. Today, my guest is actually one of our Fireplace Church moderators. Because the, the gentleman is so deep. I, I just said, there's no way I could pass this opportunity up. Todd, you got to come on to my program. We, we just have to have a, a conversation. And our, my guest today is going to be talking with me about Melchizedek and the Book of the Covenant and a number of other things, even extending into baptism. It's going to be really, really cool. We're going to get to him in just a minute. I just want to say a few words here. Guys, Brad Ministries, we, we, we are actually in the midst of quite a bit of spiritual warfare. Um, pray for us. There are people attacking us. There are spirits, obviously. They hate what we do. Folks, and I want to make sure that everybody that listens to this program understands, uh, we're not here just parroting lines that, that we got from some other bigger ministry or just, you know, fear-mongering, do, doing things that just uh, raise hype. We are actively attacking the kingdom of darkness every day. That's what Bride Ministries does. That's what I do in my ministry. I attack the kingdom of darkness every day. Then I get on a podcast and do this program and uh, provide equipping and teaching and uh, testimonies from survivors and what it looks like on the other side of the uh, when you cross enemy lines and giving you guys insights into all that in order to get that intel man oh man we are in heavy duty warfare every day I mean it, it, I really take time to talk about the kind of warfare that we do but we we are um, battling with the powers of the heavens daily um, structures in the earth, dealing with matters in the spirit and mechanics on, on levels that are really the body of Christ is not ready to understand yet. And we're pioneering it. The devil is mad about that. He's upset. And right now I'm praising God because there's a number of people associated with us that said, Daniel, we're going to fast and pray for bride ministries. Right now, praise God. And, and, and so I just want to encourage those of you that listen to this program. Um, with a ministry like this, there are always going to be attacks. There is always going to be retaliation. There is always going to be uh, <laughs> an effort of the kingdom of darkness to undo what we're doing because we are doing a lot of damage. And so uh, keep that in mind. And, and I just want to encourage you guys, pray for us. We really appreciate your prayers as well as, as the ministry of Bride continues forward. I want to remind you also, we, we are helping survivors. We are not backing up off of that. We are pioneering solutions for survivors of satanic ritual abuse, mind control agendas. This is tough stuff, folks. Uh, when you sow into us, you are sowing into that work. You are also helping us to uh, provide for our staff whose livelihood is based on Bride Ministries. You, you are helping us to continue the Fireplace Church, this podcast, and also launch us into other endeavors that we have, like the DID Coaching School, which we are slating for creation in 2017. Folks, you can join us financially at bridemovement.com and thefireplacechurch.org with our donate buttons there, or just write to us at P.O. Box 362 Nash. Texas 75569. I'm done. Folks, we're going to be right back and we're going to be sitting down with Todd. You are listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall.
are back on Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. And folks, I'm really excited today because we're going to be having a really interesting conversation about things that, honestly, I'm learning more about. And I'm learning them from a gentleman who is one of our Fireplace Church moderators. Now, uh, let me tell you something about the Fireplace Church. We meet every Friday and Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at www.thefireplacechurch.org. And I'm always talking about, hey, come, make a friend, sit down, learn, hear the Word of God, and then conversate with like-minded believers from around the world. And let me tell you something, folks. God has sent us some of the most interesting and profound people you can imagine and a number of them have volunteered to be our moderators. One such gentleman is joining me today on the program. Has he written any books? No. Are you going to find him pioneering his own ministry somewhere? Not right now. Um, but I'm going to tell you what. Todd Edwards is an amazing man of God. He is a deeply studied person. And I'll tell you what. He has uh, blown a number of people away in our groups. I first met him when he was in one of our discipleship groups. And as we were preparing to launch the Fireplace Church, I remember the funniest thing was when we put out the option said, hey, if you've been in Bride Discipleship, you can volunteer for one of our discipleship groups. The, the accusations came back. Well, Daniel, what if Todd is in my group? What would I do then? Because people were really uh, kind of nervous about Todd's uh, intelligence and knowledge base. <laughs> well, um, I said, you know, this is too good of an opportunity to pass up. I, I'm actually bringing him on the program to chat with me, and I, I'm telling you, you guys are going to really enjoy him. And you can also find him at the Fireplace Church if you join one of our groups. You might end up in his. He's been a follower of Jesus for almost 25 years and has been active in teaching Bible studies, youth groups, adult fellowships in both traditional and non-traditional church settings. He's been active in evangelism outreaches and has a heart to make disciples of Christ. You know, Todd, welcome to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Daniel, thank you for having me. Uh, it's been a privilege to be on. You've had a, a lot of strong and courageous survivors on that I've heard, a lot of anointed leaders. Uh, so I'm privileged and, and honored that you consider me as part of that group. Yeah, well, you know, Todd, you have a lot of really fascinating things to say. And, and I'll tell you what, your understanding of types and shadows in, in, is, is we find them in the Old Testament is really awesome. And, you know, in getting into what we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about a number of things. Uh, we're going to be talking about the book of the law versus the book of the covenant. We're going to be talking about the, the meaning of priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood. We're going to be getting into baptism. I, I, I want to begin, though, by asking you this. What is your testimony? I mean, how did God get you to where you are now in your walk with him? Well, Dan, it's, it really was a matter of me giving up control, because uh, growing up, I thought I had everything under my own power, my own control, probably like uh, most of the people that are listening out there. Um, I thought I was good academically, Athletically, um, I was very successful in business right away, right out of school. Uh, but looking back on it, I realized that God was trying to send me a message as I blew out my knee, tore my ACL playing collegiate sports, uh, so all of a sudden struggled with a semester in college that I never did before. 
I had a couple of rough periods uh, coming out of work that I thought I knew what was going on until uh, when I was dating my wife-to-be and we had some issues with uh, immigration. Uh, being a Brazilian citizen, she was going through an immigration process and all of a sudden the papers were out of order according to our U.S. consulate. Uh, so therefore I thought, no problem, I, I can do this. I, I have connections in the government. I have connections through fraternity brothers or this or that. I can, I can help her get her out. And I realized that I couldn't. And I will never forget this. Uh, back when there was pay phones, I was on a pay phone in New York City where I was living at the time on a Wednesday at 10 o'clock talking to the head of the consulate. And she told me, you will never see your girlfriend on American soil again as long as I'm in charge. And for the first time in my life, I broke down. And that was when I was 25 years old. And I, my prayer was really simple. It is about as simple as you can get. Uh, God, if you're God, then you can have my life because I clearly am not in control. And after that, immediately things started to happen. So that's kind of a quick, quick synopsis of how, how I got to the beginning point. Now, what has your experience with churches and ministries been like as you've journeyed with the Lord? Well, a after that, the, the conversion, when God just really yanked me, um, I started preaching in the streets of New York City. I, I felt compelled to do that. I didn't know very much. I just knew I had to start opening my mouth. Uh, so I, I was involved in, in a number of different ministries right away, uh, food bank, uh, food pantries, uh, street evangelism, uh, started teaching uh, youth groups. And I was learning as fast as I was teaching. Uh, I'd be going to church and listening to ministers probably about five, six days a week, uh, just trying to absorb as much as I could. So I, I, I was in a lot of organized churches, uh, just trying to soak it up, a lot of ministries, uh, traveling around, and then at some point in time, uh, realized that I needed to go elsewhere to, to, to be fed, uh, and started to look at things on my own. And I really felt kind of a wilderness experience where God kind of took me out and said, I want you to dig into the, the, the places that I take you to um, instead of going to get fed here. Uh, so I, I really experienced a lot of wilderness as well and have come to really enjoy it. So it's been a mix of both of that. And through the wilderness experiences, uh, it's also understanding what it means to have relationships and community um, home to home. So the book of Acts, they would preach in the synagogues and then they would have fellowship at home and really have had a, a lot of experience with home fellowships. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. And, you know, I, and I totally identify with you because I've had, you know, wilderness experiences too. I think a lot of us that want to go deeper with God um, have to have those wilderness experiences where God will plug us in and then unplug us so that we don't stagnate. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, it's been a real journey for me. And so I know in some of our private conversations, I'm like, wow, you know, there's a lot of parallels here. And it's just always amazing to see how God leads us individually to these places. And what's really amazing is how many of uh, similar conclusions that we had come to even before you kind of jumped on board with Bride and had, uh, you know, began fellowshipping with us. And 
I want to I want to get into this, man. There is a lot of debate around what Jesus did in respect to the law. And there's a lot of debate around what the word law actually means when it is used in different places in the New Testament and um, how it's applied to the new covenant believer. And in your studies, one of the interesting things that you've managed to pull out is that there is a, a distinction to be made between the book of the law versus the book of the covenant, and that this actually does play into how we are intended to understand you know, certain things that Jesus did in our, well, our role as New Testament believers. And so I, I want to open that up at this point and, and begin there. What's going on with the book of the law versus the book of the covenant? Yeah, that's not normal language for most of the church, uh, because we spend most of our time reading the Gospels, and then we explore some of the epistles. And in the English translations, we don't see a whole lot of the covenant. But most of the New Testament is really quoting the Old Testament. And when you get into the Old Testament, it's all over the place, which means it's really all over the place in the New Testament. Um, as an example, uh, to start off with, your, one of your, your big messages is kingdom. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand now, not when it, not in the millennial, uh, not in the millennial kingdom, not in, in the future. Um, it's not something to be grasped out later. It's living it right now. That was the way it was in the Old Testament. In fact, Paul talks about this in, in Galatians 3.8. He says, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, mm -hmm. in you shall all nations be blessed. So the gospel was actually preached unto Abraham. To take it a step further, the, the author of Hebrews in, in Hebrews chapter 11 says that Abraham was looking for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker was God. So yes. if we really kind of think about that, wait a minute, he's looking for a city built by God? Um, he was looking for the kingdom. Yes. And this is Old Testament stuff. So when we start to kind of unpack this, um, well, why is Paul talking about this in Galatians? Well, in our English translations, again, almost everything that is associated with instructions or the Hebrew word Torah is translated in the law. And it really shouldn't be that way because in the, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, there's several words for that that we all kind of put together. And you have commandments, you have ordinances, you have judgments, and you have law, you have statutes, and we just lump it all into law. So as we start unpacking it in, in Galatians, it's really clear that Paul is actually doing a compare and contrast of two things. There is a covenant that he's associating with Abraham, and then there's a law that's associated with Moses. And then the author of Hebrews does the same thing and associates a covenant associated with this priesthood of Melchizedek, which is really interesting, I know we'll get to, and then again against the law associated with the priesthood of Levi. So I think we really lose a lot when it's all everything is translated into law, and then we just throw up, it's the law, and Jesus did away with it, and there's this dividing partition that's at the title page that says New Testament, 
So therefore, everything that's the Old Testament, it is old and it's law and we don't have anything to do with it. But what I found uh, is if we don't understand the Old Testament, we cannot have any depth of understanding of the New Testament. It's kind of like uh, you and I playing checkers um, and we're thinking we're doing fine when actually it's multidimensional chess <laughs> going on. Well, that's exactly right. You know, and, and, and there's a lot of oversimplifications that have been, like I found, you know, just personally. One, people oversimplify the word gospel all the time. It's like, well, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. And then there's a bunch of Christians that just run around thinking that the only gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we could have righteousness and eternal life. And, and that's where they stop. And that, well, that's what I call a reduced gospel. It, the gospel was preached to um, Abraham. I mean, this, so what is really going on when you look at uh, the, the gospel? And, and it's like, well, gospel really means good news. And there's a lot more to this whole conversation than just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. And I talk about this all the time. This is the good news of the government of God. The good news that through the death, burial, and resurrection, we are connecting into this government that is manifesting out of a realm that is dimensionally displaced from earth. Like that is the good news of what Jesus Christ came to you know, establish for men. He reattach us to our homeland, our city. Um, and, and so like you, a lot of messages in the Bible have been reduced. Recently, I had a guest on and we were talking about uh, the difference on the subject of divorce between, um, you know, a, 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 a giving them a written notice of divorce or a bill of divorce. And right. I, I remember that that program. And there's a, an interesting reference. And it was a great example of what he was talking about with the divorce and the laws that the real what he was really getting at with the Pharisees is that they were just putting their wives away. That's and funny. there was a, a multi-step process that you had to do according to Deuteronomy 24. And, and that is there had to be identification of adultery, infidelity. Then there would be a bill of divorce given. And then there would be a, a putting away or removal from the house. And these, these leaders were getting to the point of just skipping the infidelity, skipping the bill of divorce, and just putting their wives away. And God is furious at that. That's, and that's why it says in, in uh, the book of Malachi, God hates divorce. Well, he doesn't say he hates divorce. He hates putting away. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and, and so that's what we were talking about. We were talking about, yeah, the putting away versus the bill of divorce. And the, the distinction gets blurred completely in the uh, English translations many times. It's really sad. So we all end up very confused. Right. Now, we're talking about the book of the law versus the book of the covenant. I want to get deeper into this, Todd. What's going on? Yeah, so let's, let's really dig in. And uh, for those that are listening, I'm going to be reading a bunch of scriptures here because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I don't want you guys just to believe what we're talking about, but d dig in. Um, we'll start with a launching point right in the New Testament. So Ephesians 2, starting in verse 12, says that at that time you were without Christ, be being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants, plural, of promise, 
having no hope and without God in the world. And then a couple of verses later, it says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So notice that there's a difference between covenants of promise and commandments contained in ordinances. So let's kind of rehash now what covenants of promise is and then that, and then that ordinance. So covenants of promise um, really starts off, let's start with Abraham. In Genesis 12, this is the gospel, and this is tremendous good news. And as the listeners are, are listening through Genesis 12, think about what's good and what's bad about it. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you and, curses him, and curse him that curses you. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, when I listen to that, all I hear is good news. There's no curses, but yet we associate the law with, with bad stuff. So what we have here is a covenant of promise. Promise, it's all one way. It's God to Abraham. So that's great. He goes on to explain some more things in Genesis 15. And there's a really interesting component there when Abraham has a little question, what if I am, uh, how do I know that this is going to happen to me? Because I really don't have an offspring yet. How do I know that the families of the earth are going to be blessed through me? God then has him lay out some sacrifices. And, and you've talked about this in your discipleship class. When, when the realms cross and God starts to manifest himself, different things happen. Lightnings, thunderings, darkness, uh, etc. So we have one of those moments where all of a sudden in Genesis 15, there's darkness that comes upon Abram, meaning God shows up. And in between the pieces, it says in Genesis 15, 12 through 18, that behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passes between those pieces. So there is a covenant given to Abraham that's between the father and the son. Where am I getting that from? The smoking furnace. So when Mount Sinai and, and all of Israel came to them, there was a smoking furnace that came down representing the Father, the burning lamp. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the candlestick. He, he is the, 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 the branch of the menorah. So between the Father and the Son was made a covenant on behalf of Abraham. Because anything that we do, we're going to mess up. So now you have this covenant stuff going on. God's, all, God's intention, though, is not only to have it to Abraham, but to his seed. Now, how did he do that? This is really the beauty of it. Again, this is good news all the way back to the Old Testament, is he, he brought Israel out of Egypt and said, I want to make you guys a kingdom of priests. And this is in Exodus 19, verse 5. What's happening here, and this is really the covenant, is it is a marriage proposal between God and the people. So he says, I want to make you a kingdom of priests. Everybody be priests. That includes non-Levites, by the way. So everybody's a priest. There's a proposal accepted that happens in Exodus 19. They say, yep, we'll do it. Then what happens is there's a marriage contract. So when you get married, you go through your vows. Well, here's the marriage contract and the vows. It's the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And by the way, there's nothing negative in Exodus 20. These are all positive things. There's not this whole list of curses. 
Then what happens is there's the this this is where it starts to get a little confusing to a lot of folks, Dan, is after Exodus 20, from Exodus 20 to Exodus 24, verse 11, you have all the judgments or the civil laws of explanation of the Ten Commandments. So when Jesus said, well, what, what are the, uh, this is how I summarize the Ten Commandments, it's love God and love your neighbor. He was summarizing the Ten Commandments. The first four are about God, the last six are about people. And then the same thing happens afterwards in the next three chapters in Exodus is, how, how do you mean if do not commit murder? What happens if my ox kills your ox? And what happens if your ox falls in my ditch? It's all these explanations. So all of that happens. And then the final thing with the Book of the Covenant, and this is really, really, really amazing, is in Exodus 24, verses 7 and 8, it says this. And he, meaning Moses, took the Book of the Covenant, read it in the audience of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, behold... The blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made concerning all of these words. We just have now a sealed agreement, a marriage contract in blood of the book of the covenant in Exodus 24, 7. They agreed to it. The elders even have a meal with God. They talk and eat with God in Exodus 24, 10 and 11. Book of the covenant is now done. It's all over. Hmm. That's the book of the covenant. And this is really interesting. Um, so the book of the covenant and the book of the law are really two separate things that are occurring in the midst of what we call the Torah. And you're saying that the book of the covenant ends in Exodus 24. So what then is the purpose of the book of the law? Unfortunately, the marriage contract wasn't upheld by Israel, <laughs> which is similar to what we yeah, do. Of all course. The time. Yeah. <laughs> so once this happened, one of the next things that they do is they get together when Moses is up to the mountain. And by the way, this is another point of confusion. Moses didn't go up to the mountain once. In the book of Exodus, it's it, as they're at least identified 10 times that he goes up. So he's up and down quite a bit. So when we read in the Old, New Testament, um, Moses, uh, yeah, he went up to the mount and his face was shining because he had the reflection of the glory of God. Well, which time did he go up? So Moses came down with the marriage contract. Now what happens is after he goes up again and another time, all of Israel is a little concerned. So they have the golden calf incident they are committing adultery to another god right away they broke the marriage contract so what happens is god tells moses get down from the mountain this is what the people are doing and i'm paraphrasing of course and this is in, in exodus 33 i'm going to exodus 32 i'm going to consume them in my wrath and i am going to restart with you it's devastating. That's how serious this was. This was a marriage contract that Israel just broke. God's wrath is about to be poured off on Israel. And he's going to restart with Moses. Moses intervenes and says, no, please. 
It, don't blot their names out of the book. If anything, blot my name out of the book in their place. So therefore, what happens in Exodus uh, 33 is Moses said, okay, who's on God's side? And the Levites come forward. The Levites come forward, and in the process of coming forward, they then become the tribe that is the, the added in go-betweens between the people and God. Because when God has his manifest presence amongst unholy people or sinful people, he's going to consume them. So -hmm. therefore, God had to add a priesthood, not intended. Remember, they were all supposed to be a kingdom of priests. He has to add a priesthood to go around his holiness. So the Levites are added, and then they are given the book of the law as a prosthetic, as what Paul talks about in Galatians 3.17, it was added because of transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise was. So the book of the law starts in Exodus 24, verse 12, and goes all the way through Deuteronomy. And we can see that it's two books added to stay the wrath of God upon Israel all the way until the time of Christ. So one of the many things that Christ did on the cross and resurrection was take the wrath from the golden calf. And what we see in Deuteronomy 31:26 is that when Moses is done writing down all of the laws. Now remember, we just talked about it in Exodus 24:7 that the book of the covenant was done and they agreed to it. It was covered in blood. They had a meal about it. Now Moses keeps writing. So what's this all about? He's writing the law. So in Exodus, uh, in Deuteronomy 31, 26, it says this. Take this book of the law, which he had just completed. This is 40 years after, by the way. Mm. And put it on the side of the Ark of the Covenant. So Ark of the Covenant, meaning the covenant is in the Ark. Yes. We got a book of the law on the outside as a witness against you. Wait a minute. I thought all the covenant was a promise and good. So we got the good things of the covenant inside the ark. And then we had the book of the law, the blessings and a whole lot of cursings and the Levitical priesthood outside as a witness against Israel. So there we have the differentiator right there in the first five books of the Bible. This is a detail that you don't hear every day, folks. And this is why I really love Todd, because Todd is a stickler for detail. And let me tell you something. This gets me really excited, because when you begin to explore these kinds of details, there, there is a room for an explosion of revelation. Now, Todd, I'm going to tap you for a little bit here. Come back to the prosthetic uh, idea, you know, uh, Paul does use this Greek word in the New Testament in referring to the book of the law, which um, we can derive the English word prosthesis from. Um, so how do you see the book of the law actually becoming a prosthetic in a practical sense? Break that down a little bit for us. Sure. You're, you're referring to uh, Galatians three seventeen to 19. It says this, uh, and this I say, that the covenant, 
that was confirmed before of God in Christ. Now, we talked about Genesis 15, where the smoking furnace and the burning lamp passed through and made a covenant. So it's confirmed of God in Christ right there in Genesis 15. The law, different, so the law, the book of the law, which was 430 years after. So there's your difference between when Abraham received the covenant confirmed before God in Christ and then Mount Sinai when Moses, after the book of the covenant is completed, now receives the book of the law. That's different. It says this, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of no effect, meaning the law cannot blow up the covenant. But this is what happened because... Daniel, this is what, and and I just, I get so excited thinking about this. This is what makes this so heavenly minded, because we're supposed to worship, and I, I apologize for going all over the place, but it just makes me think about this. Um, we're supposed to worship him in spirit and truth. And, and we're supposed to worship him in spirit in the heavenlies with our spirit. The same thing is supposed to happen in truth. Mm. Truth is supposed to be in the spirit. So you're supposed to have the spirit connected to your intellect, connected to your heart. And your spirit man, worshiping in spirit, connects to your heart. And when that happens, there is a higher calling in the heavens where we're not just operating in the heavenly kingdom, but we are priests in the heavenly kingdom. And this is what this is all about. So as we keep going on in Galatians, for if the inheritance be of the law, which we know it cannot, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. It means Abraham didn't have to work for it. He just had to believe. Wherefore then serves the law? It was added. And there's that Greek word prosthesimi, which where we get prosthetic. Because of transgressions, that's the golden calf, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And I heard this said as an analogy, which I think is very uh, telling of this. Israel when they had the golden calf incident and they broke the covenant that they just agreed to basically had a bomb go off and they lost their limbs. And this is not to be offensive for anybody that, that, that has had that happen, but they basically need a prosthetic just to get them by in life until the healer comes. Amen. And that's what we have. So we always were supposed to be priests unto him, living in promises. We blow it with the marriage contract. We have a law that's given to us. It's added. It was never agreed to, filled with curses and this priesthood that is really not so good until the, the king of kings and the priest of priests comes and restores the covenant of promise. Now, so prosthetic was for that. It's, it's just incredible. Um, so, you know, and I, I really don't want to offend anybody here, but there are certain groups that, you know, will come and say, well, in order to be holy, you have to grow a beard um, because it's in Torah. And, and, and certain things of that nature. Um, not, not to knock anyone that follows Torah. Uh, you're certainly not going to 
really go wrong doing that. Um, but but this is the power, though, co coming back to what you're, you're bringing up, Todd, because we're talking about prosthesomai, the, 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 the book of the law is added to the book of the covenant. And Jesus Christ comes to establish a new covenant, which is a better covenant based on better promises. And then in Romans 8, 3, it says this wild thing. It says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did. Yes. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And what that says to me is Jesus actually took the prosthetic away and became the healing that is the regeneration of us, the persons that become new creations in Jesus Christ. Yes. He so that we could be priests with him. Oh, my gosh. Priest in the heavens, Dan. That's why the author of Hebrews says, because of all this, he says, therefore, we can come boldly before the throne. How, how can we become, come boldly if we're limping along and we're, we're operating in curses and guilt? And, and, and this is the thing. Um, th this really helps us to put a lot of things, because sometimes we lose focus of the finished work of Jesus Christ, Todd, and what it means. Um, this distinction brings a whole nother level of just wonder and awe at what Jesus Christ did. Because it, it's kind of like this. When, when Jesus was talking to the guy and he said, uh, stretch out your hand, and the man's withered hand became whole, right? What, what Jesus did was he, he was the miracle manifestation of regeneration. He is actually walking uh, resurrection life and power. And in respect to the law, he, he becomes the replacement of the prosthetic himself. Yeah. Placing us in himself so that we can become the righteousness of God in him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and that word righteousness, uh -huh. we need to absorb that a little bit. Because Paul being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, knowing the Old Testament inside and out, He's not just using that willy-nilly. Righteous, he's getting that from the Hebrew word zadik, or zadik, the priest of zadik, which we get then into the priesthood of Malki zadik. So he is talking all about coming before God, being, being intimate. And I love what uh, your, your other guest, C.L. Oliver, talked about, that there are ministers to men, and then there's ministers to God. And that's the zadiks. That's the righteousness. Those are the righteous people. And that's who he's made us to be in him. Incredible. Well, th this is the, the profound thing. It, it's actually all about priesthood. And, and God wants a priesthood that will marry heaven and earth. Yes. It, that's the, what we're here for. Why? When Jesus comes back, it says the wife of the lamb has made herself ready and he comes back and receives her to himself. And, and when, you see, it, it's about marrying realms. And, and the priesthood is designed to minister to God vertically and to man horizontally. And that's the, the, the priesthood that's, that's been placed in us, the priesthood of the believer. Uh, and, and that priesthood has Jesus as its high priest, who is after the order of Melchizedek. All right, now we're going to 
just back up a little bit here. This is so profound. Now, you you actually bring this back to John the Baptist, and you have some really interesting things, and we were talking about this, to say about John the Baptist and, and some transitions that are occurring as we move from the Levitical priesthood to the priesthood of the believer found in Jesus Christ and what he did. So talk to us about that transition and, and what John the Baptist did, who he was and what he meant. Yeah, this is another one of those things that we, we read the Gospel of, of Matthew, and we understand a little bit about John the Baptist, and we read, oh, he's this guy with uh, uh, camel hair, and he's eating honey and locusts, and he's out in the wilderness, and da-da-da, and he's baptizing people. Sounds like a crazy guy, and then he disappears, and is the voice of the wilderness. Got it. Yeah, he fulfilled a prophetic testimony. You know, that's kind of all we get. But we need to understand really more about John in the context of it. Um, and the reason that, that I kind of started to dig into this is Jesus said, John the Baptist was the greatest born of a woman up until that point in time, but yet is the least in the kingdom. That's a really strange question. And I was always one of those people in, in school that raised my hand when I didn't understand it. And I was asking God that quite a bit. And that's kind of what led me. So here's what we got. Here's what we have going on with John. In the book of Luke, in the first chapter, it says that his both of his parents were Levites. They were righteous Levites, also meaning Zadik Levites. And I know this sounds like we're going to get a bunch of whole Old Testament stuff, so so I hope the audience bears with us a little bit. But amongst the Levites, not all Levites were designated to be the high priests. There was three different divisions or family divisions under them. And then un, in, in the, the Eliezer line were the ones that could minister to the Ark and the Holy of Holies. That was, the, that was the place where God's presence was. Well, the Zadok line of the Eliezer line were the ones that had that responsibility. So John the Baptist's parents were true high priests of, the, of that lineage, meaning John the Baptist was a legitimate high priest of that line. Compared to the high priest that was at that time of Christ, of Caiaphas, that was of a corrupt line. He was not an, of the, Eli, the Eliezer Levitical line or the Zadok line. He actually had some Esau or Edomite line in him, which also was mixed with Canaanites. So you had this total dichotomy in, in between priesthoods, and you had a battle going on. The whole thing about the Maccabees and the Zealots, um, and this is the context of when Jesus shows up and John the Baptist shows up, the whole context is the zealots were the Zadokite priests who were kicked out of the temple and they went into the Qumran caves. And that should ring everybody's ears because that's where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Well, why were the Dead Sea Scrolls found there? Because you actually had the legitimate priesthood, the Zadokites, the Zadokite Levites with the scrolls hiding in the Qumran caves. My, but based on my research, I think John was associating that, he was associating with them in the Qumran caves, hence he was in the wilderness. So here, here's now the radical part about John. Not only is he against the establishment temple priests that are going on right now, saying that they're corrupt, 
but he is baptizing everybody. And this is a big deal. So baptizing is washing people for priesthood. When we go back to the Old Testament, we see baptizing, washing people with priesthood. So John is preparing priests of everybody. Now, at that time, only the, Levi the Levites were supposed to be priests. So why is John doing this? Because he's going back to the original gospel, I want to make you a kingdom of priests. So John was just a radical guy. He was going way out in a limb saying, the great high priest is about to come. He's about to restore the book of the covenant to all the people. So therefore, everybody's going to be a priest before God. That's what he was doing. And, and it, see, that's really powerful, right? So, uh, and, I, and this is a thing I think a lot of people miss. And I know I, I didn't really get this, but it made a lot more sense to me after I had done all my studies in the kingdom. Because I realized that, you know, we're not waiting for the kingdom of God to manifest on the earth. And, and we don't even really backdate it uh, to when Jesus Christ walked the earth. As a matter of fact, there was an exchange with God's kingdom that goes all the way into the Old Testament. And it, that exchange is mediated through covenants. And Israel, they just had no idea what they were working with. And, and so all of these uh, covenants um, basically set up parameters around which people are engaging this realm of God. And, 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 and so it, it really changes the way you view Old Testament, New Testament, the uh, relationship between them. And, and, and so bringing it back to this idea that God always had an intention to have a kingdom of priests really makes a lot of sense because that's his plan for mankind Period. It, and, and so um, we see that John really is going back to an idea that was in the heart of God before the golden calf incident, before the violations of the marriage contract, before all of the messiness happened that uh, then created the havoc that was going on when Jesus walked the earth with the Pharisees and the chief priests and the elders and scribes and all these hypocrites running around with their oral traditions and doing what they did, yoking these people with, I, I mean, just so much. They could not bear the weight of what was being placed on them by all of the traditions that have been added. Um, and, and so here we have this situation. John is doing something so unique. I, I think this is amazing. Now, the, the, but, but, but Todd, what does this mean for Jesus or Yeshua, who John then baptizes as well? Which was another question that I had for years, Daniel. I didn't understand what was going on with that because I started to go off on this bunny trail of, okay, what exactly does baptism mean? And I went sidewards and forwards and backwards. And it wasn't until I understood this Malkitzedic priesthood, and I'm pronouncing it that way just to separate out these two words, Malki meaning king and Zadik meaning righteous, which is associated with priesthood, that it made sense. So in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus comes to John, and John's thinking, no, I can't baptize you. What am I doing baptizing the Son of God? You are the great high priest. I am just a servant of yours. But Jesus says this in Matthew 3.15. And Jesus answering said to him, Suffer it to be now, for thus it has become us to fulfill all righteousness. And there's that English word righteousness 
which is really the Hebrew word Zadik. So we know the lineage of Christ is that of a king of the tribe of Judah. We also understand, and this and this is kind of goes into all the lineage stuff that we usually skip over, but also in his lineage in Luke, there's three kings, Judean of the tribe of Judah kings, that also have Levitical mothers. So Jesus also had Levite blood in him as well. And going all the way back to Aaron, Aaron married someone from the tribe of Judah. So you have Levite and, and Judah tribes intermingling. So Jesus is clearly positioned as the king of the tribe of Judah. He goes into the water as a king. This is a priest baptizing a priest. John the Baptist, the Levitical priest, the greatest one ever born of a woman up until that time, because he was the greatest Levitical priest, is now about to baptize the great high priest of the Melchizedek order. So Jesus comes out then as a priest ready for ministry. Now, the, under the Levitical priesthood, it started at, guess what age? 30. So Jesus is now about to fulfill the Levitical priesthood so that that priesthood has gone away and he is starting as the Melchizedek priesthood. So he comes out and then this voice starts booming out from the sky saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is a quotation from Psalm 2, which is tied to Psalm 110, which are Melchizedek Psalms. So what we have is Jesus going in as a king, being baptized as a priest, coming out as the Melchizedek priest, and then the voice of God spoken by oath, because a Melchizedek priest is by oath. That's why in Romans 10, 9, it says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That's a spoken oath of us being priests. He does the same thing. The Father speaks the oath. He's now the priest. And then, oh, this is amazing. In Luke chapter 4, the first thing that he does in the synagogue is he reads the gospel from Isaiah 61. That's right. It says, For the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me to preach the good news to the meek, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to open the prison, the doors to those that are in prison, to proclaim the acceptable year, and here's our English again, of the Lord. But when we go into the Dead Sea Scrolls, it says something different. And this is, the, this is what Jesus would have read in the synagogue to preach the acceptable year of Melchizedek. And then he closed the book and said, and this is now fulfilled in your ears, proclaiming, I am the great Melchizedek priest. I am the God of gods and the priests of priests. The Levitical priesthood is over. The covenant has been restored. That's what happened when he was baptized. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, now, if anyone was wondering, what did Jesus need John the Baptist for? <laughs> now you know what it means to fulfill righteousness. <laughs> it's profound. I love it. I love it. You know, righteousness, actually, it, all, it means to have right standing, really. Uh, one of the ways you can look at it. 
for, for, for Jesus to have right standing with God or with himself, because he is God, uh, he had to fulfill certain patterns that he set up as God, governing the spirit realm, laws, and everything that uh, moderates creation. John the Baptist was necessary in a very, very deep and profound way, folks. This, this is just really, really cool. Um, okay, Todd. Now, I want to just pause here on, at this point before we go any further. How did you figure this out? Um, God had me in one of those wilderness times where I remember him telling me very specifically a few years ago, I want you to just study the first five books of the Bible. So for about three years, that's all I did. I studied the three books. I tried to find anyone online that kind of would take me there and, and help out. Um, I started to get into the Hebrew. I started to get into the paleo, which is the, the understanding of all these letters. And um, as a student type, um, I just started to really uh, get, dig into it. Not all of this is my revelation. I didn't God didn't speak to me directly on all of this. I got bits and pieces kind of from all over the place and let the Holy Spirit kind of weave it together. Um, it's, it's, ama it's, an, it's an amazing journey. Uh, but then he said, okay, now go back into the New Testament. So now when I read the New Testament, it just pops at me in a different way. And I kind of describe this to, to people. Uh, you can have a key to a door and one of those keys is understanding the difference between the book of the law and the book of the covenant. Once you open that door, all of a sudden there's five more doors at your disposal that you can choose from. When you understand kingdom, that's another key. All of a sudden you open a door, boom, there's more doors ahead of you. And that's what happens in the scripture. So that's really what happened to me is I think I got as far as I could go in my journey that I had to go back to the beginning. Hmm. Well, Todd, I want to come back because, you know, you said you got into a little bit of the lettering. Now, what is the significance of the lettering of Melchizedek? Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so Malki, we know, means God. But I want to dig down a little bit and understand this term Zadik. Uh, in the Hebrew, it really is just consonants. So we have three letters here, Sadi, Kuf, <clears throat> uh, uh, Sadi and Kuf. And what it means is a humble man, and this is the understanding of each letter and then pulling them all together. A humble man that opens the door to hidden things. <laughs> so a priest is someone who is humble and remember I mentioned the thing about the doors opens the doors to hidden things the things of heaven the things of the kingdom the things of his glory the things that the king wants to conceal because it's up to a king to conceal and us to go and find them so it's a priest that got the revelation. That's what that means. It's amazing. Okay. So you're saying that Zadok means humble man, if you look at the letters, that opens the door to hidden things. Now, Jesus is obviously 
a priest after the order of Melchizedek, the high priest right now, that, that is who and what he is. And he also said, I am the door, the door between you and the father. But, you know, the, the interesting thing is that he's more, he's more than just a door. I, I love this revelation of being found in Christ, Todd, because this is where it gets even more profound. It, Jesus is a door to a realm that is him. <laughs> and then he said in John 17, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So I like to, and if anyone listening has taken our course at Bride Ministries called In Christ, you know that I like to use this phrase, I call it Hotel Jesus, to give us something to work with in our mind that makes sense. We enter through the door that is Jesus, and, and we enter into him. Because in him, we have all things pertaining to life and godliness. In him, we have forgiveness of sins. In him, we have justification and wisdom. And it, it goes on and on. And then it says, the Father is in me and I am in him. When we enter Hotel Jesus, we actually find the Father in that place. Talk about opening the door to hidden things, Todd. Oh, yeah. Jesus is the high priest that opens the door to all of heaven, including the Father. Endless. Endless possibility, endless resource, endless... Hmm. I mean... You know, back to the Old Old Testament and that revelation, um, David was someone that got that kind of revelation that you're describing. <clears throat> and Psalm 91 says that we should enter into the secret place under the shadow of his wings. And when we think about the wings in the secret place, we have the, the wings of the cherubim guarding the garden where there was intimacy with God. We have the wings of the cherub over the Ark of the Covenant where his glory was, all those mysteries that you're describing, the door to heaven where it was said that the priest would enter in and then be no more for a period of time because he was passing through realms. That's the kind of place that we're supposed to enter into, and, and Christ is that door into the mysterious, into the heavenly, endless treasures of God, into his glory. That's the priesthood that he wants us to be a part of. My gosh. Now, Todd, you know, what has this led you to conclude about water baptism for the new covenant believer mm. well I, I i will say daniel that the more i know the more i know i don't know uh so i am cautious on when i am trying to to, to articulate something in in some of these areas I, i'm really hoping that everybody takes it and chews the meat and then spits out the bones uh, so with baptism is kind of, I'll share with you kind of where I'm at right now. 
Um, not to say that God's going to correct me and adjust me at some point in time in the future, but I see baptism really more in line with priesthood. And it has nothing to do with salvation. I know some people will argue with that. I don't believe it has to do with salvation. Salvation is when Jesus sits on the throne of your heart, when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, and then there's this miraculous transformation where he implants faith in us, and then we are our spirits are raised with him, seated with him in, in heavenly places. It has nothing to do with baptism. I see baptism is kind of what happened with John and Jesus. It was about priesthood, and it is something that we're supposed to do, not as a commandment, if you don't do it, you're bad, and if you do it, it's your good, but it's it's a privilege to enter into a new place in the heavens as a priest. And it is a ceremonial washing. So back to the Old Testament, when a, a high priest was dedicated to go into the Holy of Holies, they would be dedicated by a full water immersion, baptismo, a full mikvah in the Hebrew. And then they would be sanctified to become that priest. I see baptism as that's what it is for us. We are taking another level of intimacy with him to be ministers to God in the heavens after the order of our great high priest being Jesus. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's also why Peter was going kind of crazy, um, thinking that he needed to baptize everybody because he got the revelation of priesthood after seeing what was going on with John and after what happened uh, with Christ being baptized and the Holy Spirit being poured out. He's like, it's time. We're about to be a kingdom of priests. And he even says this when his, in his writings in First Peter that you are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation living stones all put together as an altar. So he wanted to baptize everybody into priesthood. He wasn't baptizing them for salvation. He was baptizing them for priesthood. That is a profound connection, Todd. I truly identify with that. and, And this is what I think. I think there are a lot of facets to water baptism that have been completely ignored because people have embraced a reductionist theology on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and so baptism has been swept into a little category called uh, just an outward show of an inward work. It's just something you're supposed to do. There's no other real significance to it except that, well, if you know, you're going to obey God, you have to do it. There is something so profound and powerful about water baptism. And we look at what it meant for for Jesus. And we begin to draw the conclusion that we are actually um, now as believers in him, a kingdom of priests and kings and priests unto God. And that our, our, our... good service, a reasonable service, is the ministry of marriage between heaven and earth. Um, 
wow, what is what does baptism become in the context of all of that? You know, uh, I have a few ideas. You know, Todd, it just goes so much deeper than we were told. Yeah, and you know, when you look at when you look at the the prophets, um, there were prophets that were farmers. Uh, there, there were prophets that were kings in the Old Testament, kind of all over the place. There were a lot of prophets that were priests. Ezekiel was a priest, right? Mm. The, the, David had the understanding of priesthood. He wore the linen ephod. <laughs> He's of the tribe of Judah and is wearing the linen ephod running around. He's eating the showbread. That's only supposed to be for priests. But yet he has this revelation of, wait a minute, everybody's supposed to be a priest. That's the place of intimacy. The, the child Samuel, the prophet Samuel, was of the tribe of Ephraim, and yet he laid before the Ark of the Covenant. So there's this thing about priesthood and intimacy and prophet and, and the prophetic that only comes from the heavens that that's really what baptism to me relates to is the whole whole concept about priesthood. I don't want to be just hanging out at the doorpost of God in his temple. I want to be as close to him as possible. Now, if that's what he has intended for me to be the, the doorkeeper, then great, I'll do that. But if there's a chance of me being close to him at sitting at his feet like Mary did, that's what I want to do. And that's what a priest is. That's to me what baptism is about. So when I, I baptize people, I, I first explain to them about priesthood and why Jesus was baptized, why John the Baptist was baptizing people. It's to draw into intimacy so that you can minister before God and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And just have the waves of his love and the ways of his character fill you. And you, you mentioned this in John 17, him and you and you and him. That's priesthood. That's baptism to me. Now, I want to crack open Hebrews 7.12 for a minute here. Mm. And let's talk about Hebrews 7.12 in light of everything that we've been discussing. This is a really interesting passage in yes. some circles, somewhat debated. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law how do you place that in light of what we've been talking about Todd Hebrews is an amazing book for those of you that want to dig more into the priesthood it's a comparison of Jesus as a Malkitetic priest versus the Levitical priesthood of the time and here in the this verse that you just mentioned there is a tie between the priesthood and the law. So why was the priesthood of the Levitical priesthood established? Because there was about to be imposed the book of the law. So now we have, if the priesthood is going to change, meaning it's going to change from a Levitical priesthood to a Melchizedek priesthood, with Jesus as the great Melchizedek high priest, that means there's a change of the law. So if the priesthood is no longer, the book of the law is no longer. That's what this is saying. He then goes on to talk about, and there's some interesting passages in here, that shows that the priesthood is already decaying. 
it's already passing away. And that's what Jesus did, is he changed the priesthood and he changed the law. So to me, 712 is is very powerful to show the close of the book of the law and the close of the Levitical priesthood. A lot of things begin to line up, folks, when we get into some of these finer points. Todd, this has been a really, really awesome discussion, man. Hey, hey Daniel, I want to close with one thing that I think might be interesting to people and how, how all this kind of unpacks. And that is, we didn't talk about how Jesus dealt with Caiaphas. Talk about it. Uh, so there's this interesting passage, again, one of those things that we just kind of read over real fast, where Jesus is the Malkitsetic priest now as he's walking around. John the Baptist anointed him that way. The, the father spoke the oath. Um, it was there. But now, what about Caiaphas? Because Caiaphas is still the high priest at that time. Well, this is what it says in uh, Matthew 26, starting in verse 59. And this will be a great summary to kind of close this, this discussion about. Uh, now the chief priests and elders and all the councils sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Though they found many false uh, though many false witnesses came, yet they found none. At the last came two false witnesses, and said, "This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it again in three days." And the high priest arose and said to them, or said to Christ, "Answer you nothing. What about these witnesses against you?" But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said to him. I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it. Nevertheless, I must say unto you, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need we have of witnesses? Behold, you have heard his blasphemy. There's about four or five different Old Testament references going on in those handful of verses, and this is about the priesthood. Let me, let me explain this a little bit. First of all, from Leviticus 5.1, it says, If a soul shall sin and, and hear the voice of someone swearing or lying, and is a witness, whether he has seen or known of it, and he doesn't utter it, he will bear the iniquity means if you hear someone telling a false witness and you don't speak it out, it's on you. So what, what happened with Jesus? Well, he heard the false witnesses. Caiaphas says, I adjure you by the living God. He was saying, I hold you up to Leviticus 5.1 because Jesus had to fulfill the entire law. So Caiaphas now is claiming it on him. All right, you claimed you're the, you claimed you're the son of God. You heard false witnesses. What do you say? That's why Jesus responded, you said I'm the Son of God. Nevertheless, I have to say it according to Leviticus 5.1. So now we got another thing going on here. In Leviticus 10.6, it says that the high priest is not supposed to tear their garments lest they die. We just had Caiaphas tear his garments which now disqualifies him as high priest. This is on the night of Passover. My, my, my. 
And then we have Jesus saying, you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He is quoting a Melchizedek Psalm, Psalm 2 and 10. So what we have is going on is a Levitical law is placed on Jesus. He fulfills it by saying, no, they are false witnesses. I am the Christ. He goes on to say, and I am the Melchizedek high priest way above you because I am the son of God. Caiaphas hears that as blasphemy, tears his garments. He's no longer priest. There's no priest on earth of the Levitical nature under Caiaphas to take care of the Passover sacrifice that year. But we have the great Melchizedek priest who is the Passover to officiate his own ceremony. So he deals with Caiaphas and removes him out of the way. That's why when they were parting his lots, Jesus, um, Jesus garments, they didn't cut them off. They kept them all intact because if those garments would have been cut up, it would have negated his priesthood. So that's how he deals with Caiaphas. All of that packed in that little, that those few verses say so much when we understand uh, what Jesus was actually doing. Powerful. Wow. Folks, you may need to stop at this point, press rewind, and listen to this one again. Uh, Todd, this was loaded. And uh, like I said from the beginning, your ability to pull on Old Testament types shadows law covenants and use them to explain new testament truths is really a lot of fun it's just awesome and um this was an awesome awesome conversation i want to invite you guys like the fireplace church is really cool people like todd are the moderators at the fireplace church can you imagine um todd Thank you for your uh, fellowship and 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 taking the time to come on here with me and yak about all this stuff, man. You, you you really did an awesome job. And did you have any other last thoughts before we close this program? I yeah, just kind of closing um, from Hebrews four fourteen. Mm. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Again, we, we have a high priest that sacrificed one time for all sins forever, sat down at the right hand of the Father, signifying that his sacrifice is done. We can come with a clean conscience before him and petition him anytime, all the time, and sit before his feet. And that's the power of understanding the book of the law and the covenant and the priesthood is there is so much freedom in that. And tying that together with your message of the kingdom um, just brings me to tears frequently. Well, folks, let me tell you something. God is good. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. And I'll tell you what, through him, we have unimaginable benefits and blessings. That's why Bride Ministries... We talk about Jesus, him crucified, resurrected, 
and our citizenship in his kingdom. With that said, folks, we are out of time for today. Until next week, God bless and Godspeed. Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall is the premier radio program designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program has been a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com At our website, you can contact us access resources, and support us with donations. We need partners in order to continue to produce our vision, which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Partner with us and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed.